This is Healthcare Matters on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Healthcare Matters is a program that delves into healthcare policy and issues. The hosts are not medical clinicians and they're not able to offer advice about medical conditions or diseases. You're always encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Healthcare Matters, sponsored by Hartford Healthcare, hosted by Rebecca Stewart and Elliot Joseph. Welcome to Healthcare Matters. I'm Elliot Joseph. It's nice to have you with us this morning. Every one of us has the power to save lives. And that is what we're going to be talking about today, organ donation. It's an important theme during this particular month of April as it is Organ Donor Awareness Month. And today, we are going to take a close look at the remarkable gift of life. We're going to talk to recipients. We're going to talk to donor families. And we're going to do our best to dispel a few myths and take a look at what's new in this exciting world of transplantation. Most importantly, our objective here this morning is if there's anything at all you get out of this show, is that we want you to seriously consider signing up to be a donor. And we hope our discussion today will help you arrive at that conclusion. And amazingly, fewer than half of Connecticut residents are currently signed up to be registered donors. And it's very easy. You head to registerme.com. You sign up online. Every 10 minutes, would you believe that? Every 10 minutes, another name goes on the National Organ Transplant Waiting List. So that means more than 115,000 people, men, women, children, right now need life-saving organ transplants. So we want to introduce our guests who are with us this morning. Yeah, as usual, we have a great panel of guests this morning. Dr. Patricia Shainer of uh, Hartford Hospital. She's the medical director of the transplant program. And when uh, Dr. Shainer is not in the operating room, she is a fierce advocate for her patients and for organ donation. In addition, we have the pleasure of having Jane Andrews here in the studio. Jane is an organ recipient. She has received two life-saving organs, a kidney and a pancreas. And since her transplant, Jane has become an incredible advocate for organ donation, speaking regularly across the state of Connecticut. It's really nice to have you both here. Later in the show, we're going to have Jamie Davies calling in. She and her husband made the decision to donate after their oldest daughter died tragically in 2012. I think we're going to have a great discussion this we morning. absolutely do. Here in Connecticut, there are more than 1,200 people currently waiting for those life-saving organs. And we know 20 people die each and every day waiting. So not that long ago, Jane Andrews was on that list. So Jane, we're going to start with you, if you don't mind sharing your story. You were very, very sick. Yes, I was. Um, in 1970, I was diagnosed with diabetes. That was so long ago that not too much was known about the condition. And, well, we just did the best we could with the information that was available. My father was just full of love and had a great sense of humor, but he also had a good sense of discipline, which really helped me out. Mm-hmm. We we followed a strict we, <laughs> I followed a strict diet. And, and you were all, you were a little girl at the time. I, I was in second grade. Yes. I was almost eight years old. Oh my! Um, so going to the hospital once a week for blood work. Um, I got up early every morning to take one insulin injection with a glass syringe that don't exist anymore. Huh. Thank wow. goodness. <laughs> They're probably in the Smithsonian. Um, we ate 
meals at 6 in the morning, at noon, at 6 at night. I had a snack at 10, 3, and 8 o'clock, and we followed those rules to the T because I think my dad was scared, mm, sure. honestly. Sure. And he had just lost his wife not yes, long my, before. my mother had passed away a few months before I was diagnosed, so when I was showing the symptoms of diabetes, people just passed it off as me grieving or yeah. looking for attention or something like that. Then at what age... Did you know, I'm really, really sick, and they said, you've got to be on the list? Um, In my 30s, I started not feeling well. I'm sort of a workaholic. I'm in food service. You just don't stop. You you get up, and you're you're just running as soon as you stand up, and you're thinking, and you're on the go, and you're just creating and learning, and it was was fantastic because I had all this energy, and then it started to fade, and... um, I, I knew enough to consult my doctors. I'd always kept notes to have intelligent conversations with them to let them know what was really going on. And test after test and all kinds of blood work and urine samples and buckets and yeah. uh, every test I didn't know about. Eventually they discovered that I had a kidney failure. And they asked if I would look for living donors but nothing was ideal enough. And this is some time ago. This is about 16 years ago. So they've advanced modern medicine yes, since then. And yes. Dr. Shaner's going to talk about yes. that a little later That's in right. The show. I'll, I'll let her handle that. <laughs> um, so I was placed on the waiting list for a kidney. And progressively getting worse, I was listed as needing both a kidney and a pancreas. And when they offered that, I thought, I've never heard of such a thing. They're pulling my leg. They're right. they're 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 messing with my mind now too. Um, but I was listed as needing both organs. And what year was this again? Um, two thousand four. Okay. And you said it was a terrible feeling. I bear. It was a. It was so tough to know you were waiting somebody to go through the worst. A family to go through the worst day of their lives so that you could have life. Absolutely. I. I. I don't want anybody to die, but I also understand that that happens. That is part of life. Um. And I. I. I didn't. I didn't like the idea of waiting for that to happen. I had already seen death up close and personal. Right. I've done CPR. I've done i've been close to people that that i've watched die and and you just don't want to do that and i thought okay i've already had a good life just just let it let it be just just i just had to accept where i was um but the miracles of modern medicine Mm. again came forth and you had exhausted the pursuit of a living donor by this period of time exactly so yes no one you knew who could be a good match or would be a good match for you. My, my, I have three big brothers, and they all tried, and they started asking relatives and friends we grew up with and people they were working with, and right. there, there were a lot of people offering. Right, right. Now, delving into Dr. Shaner's perspective, so I right now we know how many people are waiting for organ transplants. <laughs> you work with them each and every day. Both of you say that people ask you, similar questions they don't believe that they're going to save somebody in a traumatic experience for these let's let's bust some myths here they won't save me dr shaner yeah that's the biggest myth there is in fact when a patient comes to the emergency room nobody looks to the donor card nobody knows if they're a donor until absolutely everything has been done to try to save that patient so nobody knows there's no difference in how you get treated if you sign your organ donor card Another myth. I'm too old. I've been too sick. Nobody wants my organs. 
So we do screen organs for different things. However, we depending on the organ, I've taken a liver from an 89-year-old. Um, there's bones, there's skin, there's corneas. There's a number of things that can be used, even if your kidneys aren't as good or your heart isn't as good. So being an organ donor still opens the option of being able to give life-saving or life-modifying treatment to other people. And the, the statistics are so profound. As I think Rebecca said earlier, across the country, there's 115,000 people on the list. And the last data point I saw said there were about 16,000 donor donations every year. So that's one out of, one out of 10 people on that list uh, are going to have access um, with, within that year, which... Uh, I mean, the, 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 the data suggests that we're, this is a crisis. Yes, the number of people waiting has gone up every year. Wow. So every year we put more and more people on the list. Although organ donors have gone up in the last five years, not nearly as much as the number of people who are being identified as needing organs has gone up. I think that's the perfect segue to bring in our first caller. We have Jamie Davies, who is on the line. She has been listening in. And Jamie has a really a gut-wrenching story, but it also shows how tremendous the gift, this choice to give is. Um, Jamie, you lost your daughter. Yes, I did. Take us through that decision and those moments that you have, you have changed so many lives with your daughter's choice and you say it brings you peace every time you think about it. It really does. And first of all, I want to thank you for having us and I want to say hi to the doctor and hi to Jane. Hi, Jim. Um, oh. But um, yes, so Chelsea um, got ill on December 24, 2012. And she succumbed to meningitis on December 26th, the day after Christmas. Um, she, we were approached and we were told that Chelsea, you know, was registered to be an organ donor. My husband and I were taken aback by it because we didn't know that she had made that choice. Um, and they asked us, you know, were we willing to honor her decision to be an organ donor? And my husband and I had no doubt, you know, that this is what we wanted to do. Um, we were very proud of the fact that she had chosen to do this. And, you know, and you said it was surprisingly kind. People said, oh, how did anybody bring that up? How could they talk about that? I want you to take us through, because I was really astounded by your story that you said it wasn't offensive. It was actually helpful. Take us through that journey, because this is truly the worst day of any parent's life that you never want to go through. Yeah, and it truly was one of the worst days of our lives. Um, but when they approached us, you know, it was very calm, very soothing. Um, it was the doctor, um, and I believe it was Dr. Brown at Hartford Hospital, and, you know, a, a representative from, you know, back then Life Choice Donor Service, now New England Donor Services. Um, they just said, you know, we know that you're going through a difficult time, you know, but we wanted to let you know that Chelsea, you know, had chosen in her license to be a, you know, an organ donor. And they kind of talked us through every step of it. Like, you know, what does that mean? You know, what the process is going to be. They sat us down in a, you know, in a room. Um, I appreciated their empathy. Their, you could tell their genuine love, their concern. Um, you know, it was, it was different. It just, it was very, you know, emotional for us, but they made it very comfortable us to to talk about it you know um like i tell people i said we didn't have a choice 
in, in Chelsea's death. It didn't change that outcome. But we definitely had the choice to honor her decision. And, you know, they, they asked, answered all of our questions. They, um, you know, just made us feel at ease with the process in itself, which I, I is it, pivotal for, you know, parents and, you know, family members going through, you know, one of the worst days of their life, like, like people say. Um, but it really made it easier for us to, um, you know, embrace her decision. And I'm looking around the room here in our studio, and we all have these very somber faces hearing your story. Um, what do people ask you? you? You said that a lot of folks say, do you regret it? And you say never. Yeah, there are some people who say, you know, and, and, and it's a hard question to ask. There's a lot of hard questions to ask a donor family, but I always invite people, ask us. Ask us any question, because as long as I, and I've told you this before, I said, as long as I know I'm talking about it, I'm usually pretty good at answering any question um, uh, ahead of time. But, you know, they do ask us, do, you know, do you regret your decision of, you know, having Chelsea be an organ donor? I said, absolutely not. I, I would do it again if I had to. Um, and I say that lightly because I have four other boys. Um, but, you know, we were able to meet her recipient and we see life. And when we do, you know, our blue and green walk and we do our, our talks, and when I meet people like Jane, you know, who's had a second chance at life and she's living it full. And so is my daughter's recipient. He's living his life to the fullest. He's, you know, in love. He's going back to college. He's traveling. You know, he's grateful. He's humble. Um, that's what it's all about. You know, you know, Chelsea was able to touch a life to a point where this person continues to live. You know, um, I, you know, my husband and I are, are grateful for Chelsea giving us that gift, you know, to see that. Jamie, Jamie, what, what's, what's your advice to other parents? Um, unfortunately, it's to think about it. Right. It could happen. You never know. And I had mentioned before, I said, I have two children that have had meningitis in 13 year span. My son survived. My daughter did not. So unfortunately, we do have to keep that in the back of our minds. And yeah. even, you know, with my husband and I, we, you know, because of this, you know, we've affirmed ourselves and said, no, absolutely. If, if something happens to us, we want to give the gift of life. Right. And there, we all know that as parents, there's no playbook. And we also know that there are a number of very difficult conversations that have to happen between parents and their children uh, to raise, have a chance of raising them in a, a healthy, productive fashion. Um, yep. This conversation to me seems overwhelming. Um, totally agree. To, to anticipate such a tragedy and have an open conversation. You know, thank God your your daughter had um, the maturity, mm -hmm. the courage, the conviction um, to think about it and sign up. But I don't know, and I'd be curious, uh, Trish or Jane, um, other thoughts on how how as a, as a society is the, is there a way home here, or is this this just too difficult? No, I think doing what I do, my kids are very much aware of, they hear stories, mm -hmm. they see how I feel, you know, how I react when patients get transplanted. They've been to some events like transplant recipient picnics. They've come to walks. So when they got their driver's license, 
automatically all three just said, where do I sign? Right. I mean, there was something for them that's very important. My middle one actually talked about giving a kidney altruistically at some point. Because mm -hmm. they really, they, they see from my side and they see how passionate I am about it. So in my in my family, it's just a foregone conclusion. This is what you do. Yeah, I think and this I, is the right thing to do. My guess is you're a little bit in a unique situation <laughs> <Yes>. here, right? <laughs> right? Head you of know. transplant. <laughs> <laughs> I think right. that's a given. It is a, such a difficult question to have, and I have to tell you that emotionally, I want to push it out of my mind. I honestly can say in this room, I never want to think about this for anyone well, I care no, about. Nobody wants to talk about death, and right. when we talk about making a will or something oh, like sure, that, sure. you want to leave your your piano to your favorite niece or whatever, you know, it's, those are items, just they're things yeah, as opposed to saving a life. Jamie, do you have any advice for parents on, on how to broach the subject? Um, I'm sure you've thought about it. Yeah, we've thought about it. And, you know, that's something that my husband and I, you know, we've actually talked to our boys about. Um, and I think we do have a unique um, difference than, you know, parents who have not had tragedy. Um, but because of the fact that we have a tragedy, you know, because we see the positive in it, um, you know, when we talk to our, our sons about it, you know, they know it is, like she said, it's the right thing to do, you know. Um, you know, we're not here. We're, you know, we're given the gift. And like I said, I, I, like, the one thing I can tell you is that it comforts me um, to know that she was able to help somebody. You know, and I, I truly believe, my husband truly believes that it was a gift that she gave us beyond, you know, what we could imagine. You know? Right. And, and, and Dr. Shainer, in a little bit of a different scenario where you have a, a patient or we have a patient who has not signed up and yet you think there's an opportunity, um, how do you have those conversations in, in the heat of the moment, so to speak? So I think that's different. And in fact, they don't have physicians doing it anymore. They really have trained um, social workers right now at the mm -hmm. New England Donor Services because it is such a complex um, a discussion right. and people really need to understand the whole picture behind it. And it is important when you approach a family. It's such a terrible time in their lives. Right. And, you know, when you hear from similar to what we just heard, when you hear from donor families afterwards, they do get a lot of comfort from it. They feel that some good has come from it. We do always tell them, we encourage our recipients to often write letters mm -hmm. so that they do hear what happens. Right. And I think it makes a huge difference to understand that. So it, it's a very difficult conversation to have. And, and we work a lot about making sure we do it the right way. Right. Jane actually brought a letter in today from the mother of her donor, and I'm going to ask if you don't mind, sort of pulling that out and yeah. reading some of the some of the bits that um, are so meaningful that you look at all the time over the years. Well, it's 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 a tearjerker. Yeah, can you pass and around the tissues? Please? It, 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 yes, um, <laughs> yes. I, if if I think I'm having a bad day, I think about this letter because mm -hmm. I know somebody else had a worse day. Um, I think the most important part of this letter is. Well, she states that she doesn't like to think about it because she misses him very much. But the most gracious statement she makes, she says, I hope that all is going well with your transplant, that the quality of your life is better, and that you live a long, healthy, and happy life. That just moves me to such a point. Right. And she, she, earlier she talks about him potty training and all of his friends and right. things like that. And then, right. she, then she's worried about my health. Right. 
So at this moment, I would like everybody who's listening to go get your driver's license and see if there's a, a little heart on your driver's license. I just pulled mine out to double check. I did the same. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful uh, I had the forethought and it's there. Um, Rebecca, how can we help people uh, get to the right source to make this we, happen? It's very easy to do. So if you are just thinking about it, we want you to go to registerme.com. We want you to sign up online. Remember, every 10 minutes, another name goes on that national organ transplant waiting list. The discrepancy between available organs and people who are waiting is dramatic. Right. Rebecca, I think it's registerme.org registerme.org or .com. I think they both actually Oh, they work. both are? Wow. I I'm impressed. Well, they if one both... doesn't work, use the other one. <laughs> use the other one. <laughs> Sorry. Definitely make sure you head out and go because you you want to make sure to sign up. It's very easy to do. Ch- take a peek at your license. I think the heart can be in different places. In yeah. mine, it's in the middle of my license, mine but too. other folks yeah. say it can be on the upper corner. So let me ask a, 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 a kind of maybe a, a strange question I've been wondering about. As a recipient, and Dr. Shanner, I think this is really for you, Are you? is there a difference between getting a, a, an organ from a live donor versus a deceased donor? Does, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, you get a functional kidney, a functional piece of liver, so you, certainly the surgery may be a little more complex, but there's no difference in the long-term outcome except for the fact that actually with a live donor kidney, you actually get a longer graft survival. So there is some advantages to getting a liver donor kidney. Longer graft survival, and and what? How long is that? So, I mean, what 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 do the studies suggest in terms of the longevity? Well, the, the kidneys, depending on the age of the donor, certain issues compared, and a live donor can last between ten, twelve years, up to fifteen to eighteen with the live donor. Isn't there's that a, there's remarkable? A difference. Those are years that and, just don't exist. Yeah, and it's it's an unbelievable science. I mean, just looking into it just a bit uh, in anticipation of our discussion, I mean, it really wasn't until, I guess, the 1980s, really, that this became something that was beginning to be available across the country more widely. And uh, so it's a relatively new science, so to speak. Yeah, transplant's almost the newest science there is. I mean, there, you know, in order... Transplant been done before, but it, in order to make them standard of care mainstream, we had to learn so much about how the body's immune system acts and how to manage, you know, prevent rejection without causing terrible infections, to balance the risk benefits, how to manage immunosuppression. And those changes really came in the 80s. Until 1980s, uh, the mainstay immunosuppression at that time had not been, had not been discovered yet. Yeah. So how'd, a huge shift in the 80s. How did you decide to become a transplant surgeon? This I'm is a curious. great story. I love this. <laughs> I actually became a transplant surgeon by accident. Um, I was always interested. I was a general surgery resident, always wanted to be a surgeon, and I was fascinated by the liver. And I wanted to do some extra training in liver surgery. At that point, there were like two places in the country to do it. And I ended up in Toronto. I'm originally from Canada. And because it was such a sought-after fellowship, you had to apply about two years before. So I applied, and I got the fellowship, and I hadn't really heard much from them. And then I show up July 1, and they say to me, guess what? We're a transplant program now. So hmm. you're not only a liver surgery fellow, you're also a transplant fellow. And my initial reaction was, sounds interesting, never do it. Um, and I fell in love with it. Huh. I just couldn't see doing anything else. Instead of spending a year there, I spent three years there, and then I moved back to New York and uh, 
started my career as a transplant surgeon. Life is what happened while, while you're making other plans. <laughs> I don't right. know where that quote is from. Maybe some one of our listeners know, but I, that's one of my favorite quotes. And that is, there could be no story that really does personify that quote other than Dr. Shainer. We that's are true. so glad that you found us this morning. We are going to take a quick break and have a news update. You are listening to Healthcare Matters. We are talking about organ donation, organ transplantation, and donate life. Be sure to head to registerme.org and and we want you to sign up. We will be right back. Welcome back to Healthcare Matters. This is Elliot Joseph. I'm here with Rebecca Stewart, and we're having a really interesting conversation about organ donation, the remarkable gift of life. Uh, and we're going to spend some time looking ahead in terms of what what uh, what lies uh, uh, out in front of this emerging science that's really relatively new, and um, it's just fascinating and emotional as Ab- well. Absolutely, looking around, hearing the stories today, we do want to make sure that we thank Jamie Davies, who shared her amazing story about her daughter Chelsea and making that choice, making that amazing decision to donate life and how many people she has helped with the tragic death of her daughter. We have wonderful guests in our studio with us today. Yes, uh, we are joined by Dr. Trish Shainer, uh, who is the medical director of the transplant program at Hartford Hospital. She is a leading transplant surgeon and a fierce advocate for her patients and the whole concept of organ donation as well. Uh, Jane Andrews is here, and Jane is an organ recipient uh, who actually has uh, received two organs uh, during her uh, her journey and has shared with us uh, her amazing story with, with more to come. And I believe in a few minutes we're actually going to be joined on the phone by a living kidney recipient uh, who will share uh, their story with us. But before we do anything, we do want to remind folks that if you are interested in this, we want you, A, to sign up to be a donor, registerme.org. You can sign up online. And we also want to hear your stories. They're so compelling. What are your thoughts about this as you hear these emotional tales? Do you have questions for Dr. Shainer? We want to hear from you. And that number is 860-522-WTIC, 860-522-9842. So one of the things that we had talked about as we're delving into all of this, we loved this sort of historical perspective from Dr. Shainer. But as we look at things, 15 years ago, we had Jane needing a kidney, three amazing brothers who wanted to help, and at the time, they could not. Fast forward 15 years, Dr. Shainer, what would happen today? This is what is new in Transplant. So now today we have something called a parrot exchange program. Actually, there's two of them. There's the National Kidney Registration Program and there's the, you know, parrot exchange program. We can enter patients into both. And what that means, we share our donor and recipient information anonymously with a big registry that's being managed by a group of people who look to see if our patients don't match, will they match somebody else? And can we create these chains where someone donates to somebody maybe in another program, another part of the country, their donor donates to somebody else, and it becomes a huge chain and circles back to that our recipient ends up getting a kidney from from a donor that may be across the country. How, I, ma- how many people are typically involved in these chains? I mean, is it... Uh, well, the largest chain has been 42, so it's take, it took over three months, and we we're flying kidneys all over the place, and everybody did extremely well. Uh, sometimes we have just 
four people involved or, you know, two donors, two recipients. Our goal is to try to create longer chains. That's the goal of the whole registry in order to get the more people transplanted. So, you know, sometimes a chain gets started by an altruistic donor, somebody who's not donating specifically to a loved one, but but feels compelled to save a life and donates to the chain and, and starts something going that how, becomes quite miraculous. How do they do that? If, if I wanted to start a chain, what would I do? So you can only choose to start a chain, but if, you, if someone wanted to donate, they would call our, our, our transplant program's office, ask for the live donor coordinator, and we do a screening on the phone to make sure that the person's health and everything, and, you know, and, and they would be a, a, compatible, a reasonable donor in terms of their own health. We have to protect the health of the donor first and foremost. Then we do a pretty extensive evaluation, including um, you know meeting with our social worker, meeting with our financial coordinators. Every transplant program has something uh, we call a living donor advocate, and that is a person who understands organ donation, who is not part of the program themselves, who really sits with the donor to make sure they really understand what they're getting into and what the risks are, and that they're there not worrying about the recipient and the need to get transplants done, but they're worried about the donor themselves. And that's a very important piece of a living donor program to make sure that we protect the feelings and the rights of the donor himself. So right now we know there are 4,500 Americans who die every year waiting for that kidney transplant, which is why the live donation program, the living donor program, is so tremendous, these chains. Joining us now on the phone is Ashley Norton. Ashley is a makeup consultant now, and she is the recipient and was part of a chain. And Ashley, we would love for you to kind of share your experience. Thank you so much for being on the program. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We want to hear your journey because you had a kidney earlier and then because of your body, because you had been exposed to all these antibodies, it was a little trickier for you to get that second kidney. What was it like to be part of a chain? Um, Yes, you're correct. So I had my first transplant at 13, which lasted about 12 years, Um, and I was waiting about three and a half years for the second kidney, Um, and my aunt, actually, uh, who was not a direct match for me, um, still wanted to do this uh, paired exchange, so um, we waited about three and a half years for not only um, her to be matched with someone, but than for someone to be a match with me. And it's a lot harder, uh, you know, like you said, because I do have a lot of antibodies and I've already had a transplant, and it just makes it more difficult um, the second time around. So um, because of opportunities like this, um, someone like my aunt, who was healthy enough to donate, um, to be able to still get that kidney swap and her to still be able to donate so that I could still get a kidney, um, I think is an amazing step forward for everyone waiting for a kidney. It, it opens up that, um, that hope that we have because that happens, I think, so often that people in your own family, my own mom is not um, a direct match for me. Is there so, a... Is there, oh, I'm know. sorry. Go ahead. Continue on, please. Um, so this just opens up a whole area um, for for people waiting. It's just, it's very hopeful that um, the advances um, that are being made are, are there for us. Remarkable. How, how, how does, maybe I missed, we said this and I missed it while I was thinking of other questions, but um, 
the how does this work? You know, it's across the country. Um, how did they know that Ashley's aunt could be donating to somebody out west? Yeah, wherever. I mean, who's con- who's connecting the dots? How are the so, dots so there's a company connect- that's doing it, okay. and there's you know you put your the we put every you put all the data you put the age the 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 medical important medical information you put the the, the typing, the HLA typing and blood type, which is very important for kidney donation to make sure that there, there's a match. And they put it through a computer and they see where, you know, the computer sort of spits out these matches and creates these potential this to this and this to this. And then we do more more information. We send blood, we send blood across the country to make sure that, that there's, there's a cross match and the match is okay. And then we have multiple meetings about, you know, how do you coordinate this? talking to when it when it's a good time for the donor when the surgeons are available so we have to it, it takes a lot of coordination it's actually a lot of effort to do this but certainly definitely worth it and the living donor champion program is somebody that so like her aunt somebody would talk to her aunt to say we're going to help you do this a lot of questions i've seen in different community education events out and about in the in the community People want to know: Does this cost me anything? And traditionally, for the for the donor, living donor family, the answer is no. Am I correct? Yes. So the recipient's insurance pays for for the procedure and for a certain time afterwards, in terms of any complication related to the organ donation, either the insurance or the hospital will manage so that you don't get stuck six months later with a hernia bill because there was perhaps a problem. And that's important that it is no cost to the donor because I think that question comes up over and over right. again. There's, there's no cost, but there is potential loss of work for sure. a few weeks. So we do we, 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 we want to be very honest about it, but there's no actual, if you get a bill, you send it back basically because right. you don't have to pay any hospital bills. So um, our, our method and mode of communication and coordination seems quite um, traditional, as I think about the world we inhabit today, relative to this notion of uh, social media, uh, you know, the presidents on Twitter fourteen times a day. Everything seems to go back and forth between Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure, and Shane, we were talking at the break a bit. You know, there's a lot of myths that are perpetuated uh, on social uh, media. Uh, that that might work against uh, you know a, a more informed uh, and correct understanding. As you look forward, how can how can we use social media to more effectively um, um, close the gap between well, supply and demand? Well, and even I think that that's something that social media addresses. I, in in as I as we are chatting about this, one of the things that I see most often on social media, to your point, is that people are sharing stories of their loved ones saying, get tested, share your spare. We need help. We need more donations. We need more living donors. And in that way, social media has been very beneficial. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, the perpetuation of myths is very dangerous. So I think there's a tremendous balance, but we would love to hear your thoughts. I think more shows like this will help, really, because we're we're, we're hearing the even even Jamie's story. I mean, she had a horrible loss and she's making such a positive outcome for herself and her family. Um, so I, I, 
I think it's making a turn, but I don't think it keeps up with the myths. There's really. a beautiful photograph that has made the rounds on social. It has gone viral. It has gone across the globe of this mother who is getting married. And who did she invite? I get chill saying the story. Who did she invite to her wedding is her own child's heart recipient. Mm. And there's a picture of her in her wedding dress listening to her son's heart at her own wedding, and it gives you chills. A, a friend of mine is a donor mom, and she has communicated with most of her son's recipients. Uh, the man that received her son's heart, first of all, he shares the same birth date as her son. He re the, the recipient recently got a recording of his most recent cardiogram and put it inside Build-A-Bear to give to the donor mom. Huh. That gives me chills. Now, what about some of the um, some of the stories? I'm curious from you, knowing that you learned a little bit about your donor stories that you've taken on different traits that you didn't have before. Is any of that has that ever happened to you? Are there certain things that like I love strawberries now and I never did? Well, I I don't seem to like uh, pizza or or tomato sauce as much as I used to. So I don't know if he That's had. That's a bummer. Well, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm still careful with what I eat, so I guess it works in my favor. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll have it because I'm out, and that's what's being served. I, I'm I'm polite, but it it doesn't excite me. Like like that's not first on my list. Like 16 years ago, <laughs> like exactly, prior to that. Yeah. Ashley, you are still with us today. Tell me your thoughts. Have you heard stories like that in your community? Um, I personally have not. Actually, uh, maybe I'm a on the, the other end, but I, I personally have not. I think that that's really interesting, actually, to hear that. Um, but but I have not. I, I think I'm still the same person. What about... Uh, just a little healthier. That, which is excellent. What about Elliot's question about using social media? Um, you're young and vibrant and healthy now. Um, do you see social media having a really important part in dispelling this and getting the message out there? Uh, absolutely. I think... Social media, for all of its uh, cons, has as many, if not more, pros that can be uh, used. And I think um, in that area, it's really underused. So I think the avenue is huge um, and ever-expanding with social media. Um, I use it, and um, I think it's only going to get larger as time goes on. So um, I think now is a great time to kind of latch on and, and start writing that social media to, to help in any different cause that you can. Yeah. You know, that's, why that, not? Right. That's great. Let me, I have a question for our audience. Uh, if anybody's out there on this, uh, uh, sunny, beautiful Sunday morning, um, if you don't have that heart on your license, why not? Is there, uh, um, um, some, some thought you have in your head uh, or that story you've heard that may be preventing you from doing it that you'd like our experts here to address, uh, either to corroborate uh, or perhaps suggest that uh, might not be thinking about it, not be may not be as informed with the facts as, as all of us could be mm -hmm. better informed. Oh. So I'd be curious just to hear from our audience members who, who have not signed up yet. We do want to hear from you, and that number is 860-522-9842, so we would love to hear your thoughts. And it's a judgment-free zone, right? So uh, you, you will not be judged, uh, but because we, we're curious. We want to learn. 
Jane. Jane. Um, I, I have a very loving, gracious stepmother who chose to join our family uh, long after my mother passed away. I mean, she's nothing but love, honestly. Um, but she she believes in the donation process because I'm still here. But she is not registered as an organ donor. She can't do it. Yeah. So it's an acceptance uh, issue for me, hmm. um, but I will honor her wishes when that time comes. I, I, I would never disrespect of her. Of course, of course. Yeah, that I, that's probably the most prevalent reason. People emotionally or just, Fear. just can't get over. Uh, it's, a, it's clearly a big decision. Right? But signing up actually is very helpful because, one, it is now legal. So if you sign your donor card, it we talk to the family, but... Th- we don't need permission from the family because we're trying to honor the person who died's wishes. Mm-hmm. And, but if you don't sign, the people making the decisions don't really know what you wanted. They don't even have your. They don't right. even know your wishes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, because it's such a stressful and, and and difficult situation, you may have wanted to donate and you may not end up donating. So it's very important to sign your card, not just just to let people know what your wishes are, because family doesn't always know. Right. Well, and that was something that Jane actually pointed out earlier is that if you it's it's very important to go go to registerme.org sign up but also equally important make sure you tell somebody and that was sort of your your yeah. point earlier have that conversation as difficult as it might be make sure that we we have that conversation. We do want to get to some of our callers. I know we introduced our line a little bit later. We have Bruce on the line from Torrington. Bruce, you're on Healthcare Matters. Uh, hi there, and good morning. Good morning. Um, that's a, a very interesting uh, topic, and I think I can come up with a solution uh, to increase the donations. Um, we want to hear it. Throughout the United States and the world, we know there's a, there's a shortage, and you have to watch out for the black market and all the other things like that. But my problem is this. When a person donates, well, we'll say the mother and father, whoever uh, hands over the we'll say cadaver, uh, to uh, the hospital or company that takes this, and it, the, the person being a donor, they'll take what they need, the eyes, the liver, the kidneys, so on and so forth. My problem with the whole situation is this. If it was all done pro bono for nothing, I would say, fine, and I would end the conversation right now, but it's not. The surgeons make a lot of money, which they should, the hospitals make money, but the only one that doesn't make out anything here is the person that has donated themselves and all their organs to whoever needs them. Now, my deal is this, and there is a congressman that has given this legs a while back. I heard about it. Uh, I didn't catch his name. I'll, I'll probably look it up just to see if we can give it more legs. I think anybody that takes the cadaver, any company or whatever it is, when, they, when they're finally taking what they need, it's handed back to the family, and they have to pay for the funeral. I think that's extremely unfair. I think the, the cadaver should be cremated. Now, if the family does not want cremation, they want a coffin, they want a, whatever goes along with it, uh, they should be given some financial assistance to help with that procedure. I just feel that it's very unfair for people to give them themselves, not that there isn't a spiritual level, they are in a loving level that you could say that I, sure. I hand over my child's heart to this person, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Again, if the surgeons and doctors and hospitals, everybody did it for nothing, that would be fine. Yeah, Bruce, that's, that's, a, that's a great, that's really a great point. I, I don't 
Go ahead, Rebecca. Fascinating yeah. question. I do want to make sure we get to some of our other callers. Bruce, thank you so much. Does that, Do you want to address that, Dr. Shane, or does? Yeah. Yeah, I know there There actually, I don't disagree with you because there has been uh, suggestions perhaps of helping pay for the funeral costs. Yeah. The concern and the reason there was a, the note of the National Organ Transplant Act was to make sure that this was a free gift. Is The concern was having a huge discrepancy about who donates. So if it, uh, so, the sense of paying for it, so the people who are wealthier won't donate and people without means will donate in order to get the money. So it it's, wants to be, be considered a free gift. Having said that, I actually don't disagree and there have been some, some talks yeah. in the past of paying for it. I think it's it. an important point. You know, it's uh, the economics of it are undeniable and uh, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a there there. Yeah. <laughs> And that was Bruce from Torrington. We now have Pam from Niantic. Pam, you're on Healthcare Matters. Hello. Uh, my husband, Tom, was an organ donor more than 10 years ago. He, or- he donated kidneys and pancreas. And I'm a member of a volunteer member with Life Choices, and I know Jane, and I just wanted to say hi to her. Hello. <laughs> She's um, waving to you. Uh, and I want to say that the, the, where I got the most help after my husband's death and after his donation was from Life Choices. Uh, the people that, you know, are very helpful, they're very compassionate and understanding, and they uh, really helped me quite a bit during my griefing process. And uh, I do have mixed feelings about the donation. I lost my husband, mm-hmm. but I am proud of him that he was a donor, and I am a donor as well on my driver's license, and I just wanted to... Um, um, I just wanted to say hi to Jane, and uh, Pam, hopefully I'll be seeing her soon. Absolutely, Pam. Had you discussed it with your husband? Oh, uh, we yeah, we were both life. Do- uh, my after my mother died, we decided that we would do this. Uh, I had no idea. I was kind of hesitant at first because I thought with with you know karma <laughs> that um if I signed something like that, something would happen. But um, it, ha- it did happen to my husband. Uh, he was killed in an accident, and it was very sudden. But um. And one comment I'd also like to make is that the first thing that when we brought him to the hospital, he was brought to the hospital by ambulance, um, I was asked almost right away that he was, I was told that he was an organ donor. They could tell on his uh, driver's license because, I, you know, the heart was on this card. And I was asked almost immediately even before surgery whether or not I would abide by his wishes. And I think that may be a problem with a lot of people thinking of it. Um, um, <laughs> they have this feeling that maybe... Um, they'll, you know, their their loved one won't be saved. And that is a a myth that we do want to make sure we dispel. Thank you for calling in, Pam. Thank you for sharing your story, Pam. Uh, I want to talk just as as we're coming to the conclusion of our show, uh, as quickly as that feels, uh, just a little bit of the the campaign and promotion and uh, activities that are on our doorstep here and give our guests a chance to talk about a couple of events. So, Jane, let me turn to you for a minute to talk about the uh, the Blue Green Walk, if you would. Yes, uh, the Blue Green Walk. It, we're in our fifth year. It'll be April twenty eighth, which is next Saturday. If you go to bluegreenwalk.org, you can find out more information about it. It's a five k, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a basket of love the whole time. <laughs> awesome. And then, Dr. Shaner, share your spare. Can you give us uh, forty five seconds on this? <laughs> Yeah, so we really want to get the word out about living donor, uh, living donation and understanding, especially for kidney, you do have two kidneys and you could live with one kidney. So we're trying to get the word out because there's so many people waiting on the list, waiting for seven, eight years 
on dialysis, which we know impacts their lifespan. So share your spare. Well, as we started this show, we wanted to encourage everyone listening to make sure you've got a heart on your license. And if you don't, uh, to have that conversation with yourself and your loved ones so that uh, we can increase the supply of these life-saving organs. Elliot Joseph, I'm Rebecca Stewart. We thank all of our amazing guests, Ashley Norton, Jane Andrews, Trish Shaner. You are listening to Healthcare Matters. This has been Healthcare Matters, sponsored by Hartford Healthcare. Tune in next month as we continue to discuss the status of healthcare, determine what works and what doesn't, and work to bridge the gap. Healthcare Matters on WTIC, News Talk 1080 at WTIC.com.